Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Tom, I love it when we have guests. He's making it a little more luxurious, isn't he? Absolutely. Uh, the, the it's hard for a guy house. to say that about another it's, guy. The, it's a Especially good friend him. of ours. We brought a guest who's a good friend of ours, and that's always yes. fun to do. Absolutely. Because right? we can pick on him more. Oh, yeah. But also because we know they're good people. He'll pick back. You need to be careful. No, nah, he's just a lot smarter than we are. He bites. Look, we have Durant Funding with us. He's a, you know, you've got all these like uh, uh, Master of Divinity, is that right? And a, mm-hmm. what does the D-Men stand for? Doctor of Ministry. See, he's got all these doctorate things going on. He's he's a sharp dude. This is Dr. Fleming. Yeah, we just go with Durant. He likes Durant, right, Durant? Absolutely. Exactly right. Well, Durant <laughs> is, uh, Durant, you're a former Presbyterian, or did you have other inklings before Presbyterianism? Grew up an Episcopalian. Okay. Went to seminary. All right. And when I was about 25, and then was ordained in the Presbyterian Church. In 1988, so I spent 25 years in pastoral duties in the Presbyterian Church. Wow! So pretty much someone who um, is that long in that situation pretty much just stays there, right? Durant, is that what happened to you? <clears throat> no, no. <laughs> you have got you have got this awesome story, and uh, we thought we'd invite you here uh, to talk a little bit about your story and where you came from, and really how you ended up where you are. And uh, for those who can't wait to the end of the program. Durant became Catholic. He did. Right? Mm -hmm. He and his wife, Sharon, a wonderful journey. And you sort of documented this journey Mm -hmm. in a great book called Following the Ancient Paths, Mm -hmm. An Unexpected Journey to Catholicism. Uh, And we'll talk more about that book in a minute. But really, you know, the first first thing people always want to know is, uh, why? You know, and I know that's like mm-hmm. probably a really, it's a, the world's shortest question yep. 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 <laughs> with perhaps the longest possible answer, yep. but just like in a, in a nutshell, where, how did you, how did you navigate the, I know there's steps along the way, yep. but were you looking for something outside of your Presbyterian faith? Well, you know, I've heard if you ask somebody in the foreign legion, how did you get in the foreign legion? <laughs> the universal response is that's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> How much time we have, Deacon? Oh, you know what? We, we, we don't have as much minutes. as we need. Yeah, two, okay. couple 12 minutes seconds. Okay. No, th- it's a journey that I wasn't asking for, wasn't looking for. It was not on my radar. It was not on my agenda. It was ordained. Uh, had been in that uh, denomination for 25 years. I, it, it was, you had pastoral duties at a very large uh, well, yeah. Presbyterian oh, church. Yeah. You know. yeah, married people, preached and baptized people and pastoral duties and mm-hmm. funerals, the whole thing. Now, did and they, I enjoyed it. Did, enjoyed did it. you wake up one morning or in the middle of the night and there was some voice going, Durant, Durant? <laughs> no, that's, know, not, no, that's no. not what happened? No. no. <laughs> it, I, it's, it, it's not that, you know, I wish, I wish it was more glamorous. It yeah. really was more academic. Okay. When I was working on my doctoral studies, I was doing research in the area of ecclesiology. Right. The study of the church. Right. And I began to study and began to study. And this, this was over a long period of time. This is years of study. And so uh, I came, I started reading the early church fathers as, as a Protestant. I started realizing over time they're Catholic. Yeah. These, these, these guys are Catholic. They're That's not, an eye opener But they're not though. kind of Catholic. Uh, Augustine was Catholic. Yeah. Ignatius was Catholic. Irenaeus was Catholic. These guys were self-aware Catholics. They were not something else. And so that, that makes you think. Isn't it interesting, though, that I think... Uh, <laughs> 
uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll listen to um, uh, our local radio, Christian radio, and typically, you know, in our situation, uh, Tom, it's a you know a very Protestant focused uh, relationship, and very extremely so. But it's interesting to me when people like Augustine are being quoted all the time. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. I guess selectively. Now, were you doing that for years? Where you kind of you oh, yeah. saw this? Oh, yeah. but no, then no, Augustine. Augustine is a Protestant hero. Yeah. And it's his view of salvation. It's his view of sin. Right. And faith and how it, it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How grace works. Yeah. No, really embraced in many, many Protestant circles. And but the, he was a Catholic bishop, you know, <laughs> and that, that can be that's like a kind of showstopper, yeah. I would think, for some. Yeah. And, and, and a broader reading of Augustine would reveal the guy's Catholic. Right. He's, he's, he's Catholic, not kind of. And so, um, yeah, no. I, I so, as you were accumulating times. all these uh, little initials at the end of your name, you also were accumulating a lot of these uh, uh, relationships with all these early church fathers. We mm-hmm. call them, mm-hmm. and you started reading more and more. Now, as you would read one, did, did something sort of like uh, I don't know, pique your interest in a certain area, and then you'd start reading another one, and oh, sure. you'd start filling in. Is that how that yep. would work? Yep. The, uh, a few issues that really got my attention. One had to do with the issue of church authority. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 did. They weren't denominations doing their own thing. They weren't denominations that said we're just going to believe something else. They really believed in the durability and the unity of the Catholic Church. Right, and they they fought for that. Theologically, I remember reading stuff. You'd, you'd read, and all of a sudden, they would talk about how important the bishop was. Mm-hmm. Right where the bishop was, there was Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. There was the Eucharist, and you start thinking, those are pretty profound statements mm-hmm. about authority and about who's running mm-hmm. the show in terms of a a, a hierarchical mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. Now, was that is that news to the average uh, Presbyterian? Is it vastly different for you? What, what no, your no, experience? It's, it's a, no, that's it's a different it's a different perspective to mm-hmm. view a global church mm-hmm. with a unified authority. Right, and, and so no, that's that's a different way of looking at things. Also, uh, when I, as I read the early church fathers, they adhered to the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Mm. And you can, if you really study it and you really uh, understand this, not only who is adhering to these things, but how many of the early church writers right. talked about it, you can't just say, I'm not going to unlearn. You can't just unlearn that. Yeah, you wish you'd never seen it. <laughs> you can't just <laughs> pay I mean, no attention to the man behind the yeah, curtain. <laughs> I, you can't just sweep it under the academic carpet and just go, I'm just going to study something else. Right. But you have to address that. And so, you know, th- so authority is one of the issues. Right. Uh, the, the real presence in the Eucharist was a, an issue. Um, and <clears throat> one of the things that really got my attention as I studied Christ's teaching and I studied particularly the high priestly prayer in John, right before he went to the cross, was he prayed for the church to be one, one, mm-hmm. as you and I, Father, are one. Yeah, let them be one. And so, after you know, after literally years of study, I looked at that text and I said, you know, I, I may not have an exhaustive study of Catholicism or the history of the church. I, I, I gave it a good run at it, right? But at the end of the day, I believe Christ is calling for His church to be one. And so that that is when I really became dedicated, sincerely, to stay the Catholic Church. I think it's interesting. You you mentioned that yours at first was st- sort of academic. That's what sp- sparred things, uh, stirred things up, and that's where that's the world you were in, especially being. Uh, um, well, emotionally, the option was to, you know, uh, 
forfeit my ordination and um, give up my career. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there you know, wasn't emotional. There wasn't anything Webby hated. No, there's no emotional way. pull to that. I right. Mean, so, it was, so it was academic. Right. But the academic starts to feed the emotion, though, doesn't it? It starts to feed the spirit yeah. at some point in time. Because yeah. some people... They all have an academic conversion. Mine was an academic reversion. The same exact stuff. We start yeah. reading those early church fathers. But then some people start may have a totally different tact uh, where they'll start having some kind of either emotional or spiritual yeah. response. Yeah. Right? So the Holy Spirit yeah. works in many different ways. I, and for you, it would be this academic way. And, and I thought it was interesting. Now, so obviously, as you were starting to learn these things, the first thing you would do is go and preach about those to all your Presbyterian friends. <laughs> I mean, as you were, it's, it's no. Sunday and here's... There's no. Dr. Fleming. He's going to he's going to no. get a good message, and you, you talk about the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, right? You didn't do that, did you? No, because it was that set up a little bit of a I don't know a little challenge for you in oh, terms yeah, of like the reality of what am I what am I reading, and then what am I saying? It's easier just to close the historical books, to close the theological books, to close your church history, and just just keep doing what you're doing. Because it's, it's it forces you to confront some of these issues. It's easier just not to look at them. And, but I think if a person is going to approach them with academic integrity, you've got to continue your study. Mm-hmm. I mean, closing the books is not, uh, you know, uh, it's not a response. Well, you, you, it, I, guess <clears throat> it, I guess it is until you start factoring in the big picture in terms of, like, eternal salvation. When you start talking about eternal salvation, yours in particular, you uh-huh. tend to take things more seriously and think, mm-hmm. I can't just keep sweeping this under the right, rug. Right. At some point in time, I'm going to have to either reconcile this, deal with it. And then some people start to deal with it more and more, and then they start to find out that they're, right. I don't know, they're, they're in, in, ensconced or entrenched now right. more than they ever thought they would be. Right. Just because they start getting deeper into it and find out that church goes way deep, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And also you've got you've to ask, what is God the Father's intent for the church, and am I a part of that? I mean, what is his design for the church? Am I in accord with that? Am I out of accord with that? And you start really examining yourself in light of his divine design for his church. And the more I studied, the more I saw that the Catholic Church is in the mainstream of Christ and the Apostles' will for the church on earth. And I was out of, I was the one out of accord. Now, were you reading anything else other than the church fathers, or were you just kind of doing your own church father study thing. Did you have any kind of guides or anything along the this way? This is primary source. For the most part, it's just primary sources of the early church fathers. And that's what I would encourage anybody to look at who's looking at the Catholic Church is just begin to read the primary sources of the early church fathers. Not commentaries on it. Right. Not later works on it, but read the church fathers and hear what they're saying. No, that's beautiful because I, I, I guess I... I would kind of know that's where, um, you know, historically that's where you came from, reading these, uh, these church fathers. Because it's not necessary. And so few Catholics have stopped and taken some time to read some of these early works. And some of them, it's amazing. You read them now, and it's like, this dude must have written this just like last week. It's amazing mm-hmm. how these principles mm-hmm. and the things that they're... Because a lot of them are, are commenting on Scripture, is where a lot of the early church fathers' writings are focused as commentaries on, on sacred Scripture. And still, the interpretation that they're using then is so applicable today, I mean, isn't it? Absolutely. It's attention-getting. Yeah. If, if you're outside the Catholic Church and you read the Fathers, it is attention-getting. It'll get your attention. 
Well, speaking of getting our attention, you're just now getting our attention. We're already halfway through this program. Mm. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And uh, we're going to come back and talk more with uh, Durant Fleming about his uh, wonderful journey. And we're going to talk about this book here coming up right after this. Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. The beginning of this famous prayer to St. Michael the Archangel calls this blessed angel to action against the evil that besets the faithful on earth. Pope Leo XIII first ordered the prayer of St. Michael to be said after every Mass throughout the Roman Rite in the 1880s. It is said that Pope Leo had a prophetic vision one particular day after saying Mass. He was permitted to see the great evil of the coming century, the great wars that were to tear at the heart of Christian Europe and the terrible persecutions the Christian faithful were to suffer. The late Holy Father turned to St. Michael the Archangel for help and protection. St. Michael has long been known as God's defender against the evil one. All throughout Holy Scripture, St. Michael had been called to marshal the heavenly host to come to the defense of the faithful. In the Old Testament, Michael is described as the defender of Israel. In the book of Daniel, Michael is the guardian of God's people. It reads, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. In the New Testament, Michael is depicted as waging war against evil. The book of Revelation says, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. Scripture reminds us that St. Michael is our great protector in the spiritual struggle between good and evil. After the Second Vatican Council, the St. Michael prayer was no longer required to be said after Mass. But Pope John Paul II still encouraged all the faithful to pray for St. Michael's help. He said, I ask everyone not to forget it and to recite it to obtain help in the battle against forces of darkness. Pope Benedict XVI described St. Michael as the protector of man's very understanding of God. Benedict said St. Michael defends the cause of God's oneness against the presumption of the dragon, the ancient serpent, as John calls it. The serpent's continuous effort is to make men believe that God must disappear so that they themselves may become important, that God impedes our freedom, and therefore that we must rid ourselves of him. All throughout the world, there are great shrines and churches dedicated to St. Michael. Many countries around the globe count him as their special patron and defender. St. Michael's feast day is September 29th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Tom Dorian, sidekick, wingman. Present. And we're talking to our good friend Durant Fleming. Good Former Presbyterian right. pastor, mm-hmm. now a good Catholic boy. The best. Yeah, the best Catholic boy, I guess, there is at this table, really, yes. if you're looking at it that I way. I agree with that. That's it. We can all agree with that. So, Durant, you made your way, uh, you know, academically 
and then mm-hmm. into the heart, into the soul mm-hmm. of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've, you've got this great little document mm-hmm. of that journey, this following the ancient paths and unexpected journey to Catholicism. So following the ancient paths, uh, the one of the things I like about this book most is my name is in it, you know, and that's really, <laughs> to me, that's, that's the sign of a good book. You, you're in there. You're in there. Uh, and I'm ever thankful for that. But really, I was so thankful to be part of this, uh, you know, just this early process of kind of mm-hmm. reviewing and looking at this. Mm-hmm. I, I love these kind of books. Yeah. And I know a lot of our uh, listeners out there love to hear, we'll call them conversion stories, but really it's a person's journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, just this. Uh, it's not a it's not a terribly long read, but it's a deep read. It's a, it's, it's just a it's a kind of a neat thing to do uh, to 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 follow along the ancient paths with you. So what I have to ask though is you know as a as a you know as a Presbyterian pastor, I'm sure you didn't say you know what can I do to make a few bucks? Maybe I should write a book. <laughs> well, I have to write a book about something. So maybe I should leave my Presbyterian faith behind and take up something as wacky as Catholicism and write a book about it. <laughs> Now, that could have been no, the way you went, no, but I don't no, think that's that was, the way. That was not the plan. That was, that was not the plan. How did this book come about, and why did you even write this book? <clears throat> the, uh, Deacon, thanks for asking that question. I didn't want to write the book initially. Yeah. matter of fact, uh, that, that book, if you would asked me 10 years ago, hey, why don't you write a book about becoming Catholic? <laughs> I would have said either you're really odd, Yeah, you've got a twisted sense of humor right which is true right on two counts (laughs) (laughs) or you're crazy oh three three. because the reality yeah i couldn't imagine the reality of of coming in the church you know god's providence brought that about so i couldn't even imagine writing this after coming to the church your your wingman here tom dorian yeah he, he challenged me he said you need to write the story and i said i don't want to i've got a job i've got kids i'm working on no i don't have time to do that he right. said he said no you're going to and so you know people don't know he he was a lineman an offensive lineman offensive and, lineman yeah. in college td is stands for touchdown i know he's he's, he's he's a formidable human being that's right so when he leans in on you yeah. you gotta do something so you write the book <laughs> you write the book sincerely he said you've got to write this book and i said i, I said tom i i I don't have time, but I'll think about it. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'm with you all the way. So that book would not be in existence without his support, awesome. without his encouragement, and Tom's hooking me up guy. with the right people, editors, cover art people. Now, I, so. I, after having read it a couple of times now, I, I get the sense also that this is a pretty much, it's a very intimate personal journey. And was mm-hmm. there any of that? Like, yep. it's like, look, why do I want to write this down? Because this is about me. And daughter, yeah. who wants yeah. to stand up on a pedestal and say, look at me? Yeah, that's why one reason I didn't want to write it. Right. My wife and Sharon, my wife Sharon and I are pretty private people. Right. And, and um, this is a private journey. But I was encouraged not only by Tom, but others who, who I know to, right. to go ahead and put it down. Because this is not a journey unique to me. I'm, the, the more I've talked to people, the more I interviewed people with the book, uh, it's an exciting time in the Catholic Church with the new evangelization, with people reaching out, with people studying Catholicism, with people really examining their faith now. This is an exciting time to be a Catholic. Very exciting. And yeah. there's many people going down this road. And so one of the reasons I wanted to write it is for those who, you know, were in the same place I was maybe five, ten years ago. Right. Now, in this process, one of the things I love about this book is it, it, it also sort of documents your wife Sharon's thoughts mm-hmm. along the way, mm-hmm. right, as you're, as you're going on this process. And it's kind of neat to, to sort of, you see the, the gear perspective, right? This is mm-hmm. a, 
quote unquote about you and your journey and your academia and your thoughts and your whatever. But at the same time, you're married and see in our mm-hmm. Catholic faith, we talk about this one flesh relationship and that mm-hmm. you're not just along for a ride. You're not just riding shotgun. I mean, you essentially no. become one flesh, no. right? Mm-hmm. And so just understanding how Sharon was taking all this, was she like on board from the very beginning? Was, was, uh, was there any reluctance or pushback there? Or like, what are you doing in my social circles? And <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, No, that's a great mm-hmm. question. Having been in the pastorate for many years and counseled people that are in different faith traditions or right. denominations, that can be a stress on a Dread, marriage. What am I going to say to the ladies' guild? And so, <laughs> and so I'm just thankful in the providence of God. She was with me along the way. Right. We, had, we had a lot of conversations. We read a lot. Um, and so, no, she, she was with me all along. It was a lot of discovery. Now we're talking about 10 to 15 years. Of, well, I understand. Of, but of, of, of discussion. But longer in marriage. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and what's beautiful about that is what I would, again, suggest, and maybe you wouldn't say it this way, but, but I see it this way because I experience it myself, is that it's great when your wife is your best friend where you can sit and actually sit and have these conversations. You right. don't feel like you're, quote, unquote, lording it over somebody. No, 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 no. Right. Like I'm the one with all the initials on the end of my name, so I should know this and you should no. just listen and adhere when really you having conversations along the way that's so helpful to her and to you really into your, yeah. your marriage and our perspective in the book is different uh, one of the reasons for writing the book was for people who are really wrestling with should I examine the Catholic Church uh, justifications for the historical Catholic positions on things so I, I, some of this was a, from a theological perspective on right. my part also, there's a there's a lot of people in my former denomination that I'm good friends with. I talk a lot all the time, and they're like, "What gives?" And right. so, some of the book, and the, the, the one of the difficult things about writing the book was making it approachable for whoever wants to read it. At the same time, having enough theological explanation in there where people, uh, for instance, in the pastorate would understand it. Right. So there's a, there's a little bit of a balance, and Sharon just brought even more balance to it. And that's absolutely, she, it's, it's, it's a wife's perspective of a of a faith journey. Now. Again, talking about your wife, and that's great that she would uh, be along for the ride and how wonderful that is. Because it makes it, sure does make it a lot easier, a lot less stress at home. doesn't mean things aren't super easy. It just Mm -hmm. means that you're doing it together, Mm -hmm. which is what God intends in marriage anyway. Now, what about, uh, like... Uh, your former associates, your your the, yep. the fellow pastors, even some yep. who weren't Presbyterian. I'm sure you had some really good, rock solid, uh, good yep. uh, Protestant pastor friends, and we yep. all got together and had a little. Uh, uh, you know, you didn't drink beer. Right? You drank something though. You got had some cafe, cafe lattes or whatever. And you were talking about the state of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Had those deep discussions. How did all that go? Yep. I come from a my form, my denomination I came out of is a denomination that really studies church history, really studies theology. I mean, they know their stuff. Right. And lay people in the denomination know their stuff. They're well-read, studied people. And so I had a lot of very rich conversations with mm. with those who had been ordained in the denomination I was ordained in. I mean, they, we, had, we had a lot of good, thick conversations. And um, But it, there was, it was, it was uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it was not rancorous. Uh, it was it was not troublesome. Uh, I actually enjoyed that searching time in the book. Right. In the book, I call it no man's land. Yes, you're not a Catholic, and you're kind of you're not completely a Protestant anymore. Right. And so, no man's land to me was uh, it was a time of exploration. It's a time of prayer. It's a really time of, of getting to know God and His Church. And so to me, I thought that it was a rich time. I have talked with others, even recently, I've talked with others. It's not, it's, it's more challenging. Right. Uh, uh, relationships get strained. 
Do you um, feel some walls get built up a little bit that weren't maybe weren't there before that now suddenly it's like they've got to push back a little harder because they refuse to do what you did? Is that a difficult? I, I don't know if I'd call it walls. I mean, I've had I've had Protestant friends read the book and just go, you know, thank you. You've got, you've got me thinking about something. Okay. I've never had I you know, I've never haven't encountered somebody who's upset, you know. Right. Or, well, good. But you know, just challenging each other's thinking. Well, I think God's going to use you in this uh, in this endeavor to kind of help share that, and that's why I think it's good that you wrote this book, so that people. It's amazing to me when I share something about myself. I feel like, am I being braggadocious? Am I being self-centered when I say these things? And then someone will come up at the end of the talk or whatever and say, thank you for sharing that because mm-hmm. I was thinking that. I was mm-hmm. feeling that. And you sort of like put an exclamation point at the yeah. end of yeah. uh, what I'm feeling right now and help me understand that I'm not alone and help me to figure that out for myself. Right. And the feedback I've gotten has been along those lines. There's, there's so many people examining the Catholic Church. And I believe the pendulum in America Ecclesiastically, is swinging back toward liturgy. I think it's swinging back toward art, beauty, aesthetics, transcendence of God. And I, I think a lot of people are asking the same questions. And so the feedback I'm getting from people who are reading it are, I need some thinking. I need to do more thinking. I really need to be doing more researching. And again, I'm not, you know, in my research and reading and interviews, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm one of thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have made this journey. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, I, the, more, the more I study, the more I realize, well, there's nothing really unique about my journey other than my personal uniqueness. Yeah. Many, a whole, you know, legion of people today are going through the same thing. And I, I, and I think with the new evangelization, with the Catholic Church opening their doors, reaching out to other people, welcoming people, I, it's an exciting time, I think. Um, and that's, again, another reason why I wrote the book. There's just a lot of people asking questions. Well, we have, we're sort of towards the end of our program, but do you have any words for someone who might be listening who's not Catholic, who's right now going, I don't know, I just, what do I do? What, I mean, what, what is a short little thing you would tell them right now they need to, how they need to sort of submit themselves or open themselves to God's providence? or Buy, the, bu- buy the book. Well, you certainly buy the book. We don't <laughs> well, get a cut. Well, we don't get a cut, Tom. Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I got to the point when I was studying, I was going, in the history of the church, the center of gravity of, of, of ecclesiology is Catholic. Mm. Most people on, most Christians on earth right now are Catholic. Um, the trajectory of the church historically is Catholic. Uh, and there, there is preponderance of just historical facts and evidence makes one say, I've got to examine this with some academic integrity. So with prayer? Absolutely. And openness and submissiveness and just humility. Yeah, open heart, open mind. If you just have open heart, open mind. That's where it is. The challenge is the hardening of the categories. We see things through our own history. We see things through our own biases or our proclivities. It's hard to see outside the way we see things. Well, thank you, Durant, for seeing outside the way you see things <laughs> and sharing with us following the ancient paths on unexpected journey to Catholicism available at Amazon.com. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are the author of all life and the source of all strength. Guide us, we pray, as we journey to you through the gift of your Spirit and in companionship with your Son, Jesus Christ. May we follow the ancient paths that lead to you in glory. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff... Send an email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.